0: And uh, he's more handsome than I am, but it's, it's an honor, a blessing to be here today. And uh, I'm Clayton Gregory, uh, Chaplain Clayton from Mercy Health Lorraine, um, was a former army chaplain of 23 years and Pastor Kevin asked me back in February if what I was doing for Father's Day and <laughs> he, then he politely said, asked me to preach and I said well, it's both, one, a privilege and an honor to preach on Father's Day, especially in this church, because me and my wife, my daughter, my wife Susan, Caitlin, and uh, we got my niece here, Emma, and Pam, and and family, and and, uh, my other daughter, Kirsten, in Tennessee, but this has been home for us for the, last almost four years, three and a half, four years, but we find that wherever God plants us, we grow, and we learn that we, we grow where you're at, because you find that there's a season for everything, and the joy is the Lord is in the midst of it just like with the kids in VBS you find there's a growing time there's a learning but there's always a growing time so the thought I have for you today is when you see the thought of compassion of father but when you think of the word compassion keep that locked in your mind and what you think about when you think of compassion the imagery the, the words or no words the, the embracing the holding but there's something that comes to mind with. Compassion, doesn't it? But before we start, we gotta have, on behalf of Kevin, I, I appreciate his jokes every week because he kind of gets us going. It, it lightens the load, but realize we're human, and laughter's good for the soul, good medicine, they say. in Proverbs, next slide. So, a young kid had a test, had a questionnaire to ask. Who was your hero, Dad? Why do you consider this person your hero? Because he's brave. Is there anything your heroes are frightened of? Mom. <laughs> you know? Hey, <laughs> that, that, that child has got the most wisdom, you know? And you, you stop and you say, wow, what insight. But it's profound though, but it's part of, there's a perspective in life. But it's thankful he's got a mom and dad. But there's the thankful that, you know. But again, next slide. So when you think of, actually a couple of quotes and I always I enjoy quotes but before I get to the quotes I've got a another joke and um, when does a joke become a dad joke when it becomes a parent <laughs> but this is one of our favorites my daughter and, and my wife we, we, <laughs> we have for a while so you know anybody been to South Dakota yep, yep. you been out west and, and what do you see out there Buffalo. So what did the buffalo say to his son when he dropped him off at school? My son. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, see a lot of buffalo out there, and, and when you go out to Rapid City and places like that, you see the, the beauty of it, and you see the vastness of the prairies, you see the things and how God created this, and how these animals get their own, but Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors, said, the strongest and toughest men all have, what? They're not heartless and cold. You have to be man enough to have compassion, to care about people and about your children. And Denzel Washington, those that, you know, for the younger generation, uh, you may wonder who Denzel Washington is, but uh, one, of the, one of the best actors out there. And uh, I think the, you find that his life and he, he recently spoke a couple years ago at a, it may have been about 8 years ago at a university for their graduation and the one thing he told the, the graduating class is you put God first. Bottom line, said put God first and that was his inspiration to the, to the graduates. The next quote. In raising our children, Harma Killebrew said, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. My mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. We're not raising grass, dad would reply. We're raising boys. And you know, it's so important that every day we're raising somebody, aren't we? You're raising a younger generation. It could be son or daughter. Because that could be your daughters out there playing just as well as the boys. But you find in, in today's life, there's an investment every time you spend time with them. So today, I want us to look at the compassionate father. But when you think of the compassionate father, just think about what comes to mind for you when you hear those words. compassionate father. Next slide. Oh there we go, anybody seen this picture? This is Rembrandt, 1690, but he, he, he painted this picture in reflection of one of the prodigal story. He, he, he painted a lot of pictures and this is one of 300, but when he painted this picture he, he, captured, he captured what people feel one of the greatest portrayals of the prodigal story. Today we're kind of looking at the prodigal story, part two, but it's a part of the pastor laid a lot of framework, but today's my focus is more about the, the compassion of father. But when you see in there, what do you, you see, you see a father embracing a son and you see some others in the background kind of observing, because you remember when Jesus talked about this parable, he talked about, and there were sinners and tax collectors who drew near to Jesus. There's a drawing. No one comes to the following. That's a spirit drawn. But in the background, you got the two observing, but you got the one to the right, and you can probably guess who that is in the story of the prodigal is the elder. He's got his vestments, he's got his dress, he's got his hands. He's proper, he's etiquette. If you notice, and if you see the painting more clearly, and this painting is actually in St. Petersburg in Russia, but you find that he's actually up a level from the son and the father. Now the prodigal son is being embraced by who? The father. So looking at the way in which Rembrandt portrays the father there came to me a whole new interior understanding of tenderness, mercy, and forgiveness. Seldom and ever has God's immense compassionate love been expressed in such a poignant way. Every detail of the father's figure, his facial expressions, his posture, the colors of his dress, and most of all, the still gestures of his hands speak of divine love for humanity that existed from beginning and ever will be. What you see here unfolded is what one would say a picture which those who have seen it, the original in St. Petersburg, may be forgiven for claiming as the greatest picture ever painted. Because of the impact of somebody sitting down with a blank canvas and reading a parable was able to portray this. God gives people different gifts, don't he? You know, I'm thinking, man, I was lucky to do stick figures. But the beauty of it is he's drawing, because sometimes you learn by what you hear, but you learn about what you see, your senses are at work, and you find that there's a lot. So when you grasp, so when we go through our message, they'd be thinking about where you are in this picture. And in, in ministry we find even in counseling or in is that sometimes who do I become in the, in the room with a patient or a counselee? I could become the elder real quick and, and, I, and, and there's time God breaks me when I become the elder because you, you kind of got this judgmental, like man, I can fix this, I got this. That's kind of where the elder, he's portraying it that he's kind of standing off because you would think when the son came back that the elder would have been doing what? Yeah, been coming close to his son. Something to think about. Next slide. So if we all please stand for the reading of God's word. When I was preparing for this message, the, uh, the passage that came to me was this, Psalms 103, it's actually... Verse yeah, 13 and then verse 14, I'll mention that in a minute, but please say with me, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Father God, this morning, we stand ready, Father God, and just, we enter into a place of worship, a time of hearing your word, but Father, most of all, your presence. Father, I would ask that you would reach down and touch our hearts, touch us in a place that, Father, that only you can and you would reach down as we looked at this picture, Father God, of the, of you embracing a son that was broken and was someone just needing help and, and healing. Father, touch us this morning. Be with each and every one of us in a unique, special way, Father God. To you give all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please amen. greet somebody next to you as you seated and those online. Thank you for being with us. And uh, it's truly a joy. And... Uh, When you think of the compassionate center, if you go to the previous slide with the picture, I want to share this this thought with you. It says, in the context of the compassion embrace, hearing no would write, our brokenness may appear beautiful, but our brokenness has no other beauty but the beauty that comes from the compassion that surrounds it. Let that sink in a minute. The compassion that is surrounding this son in a time of brokenness. A time of just not knowing what tomorrow's gonna to look like, but the father came alongside to embrace him. But in the midst of this, we find that this son was raised in a Jewish home and we realize that for this young man's life, when he left home, he, I don't think he ever thought that he would come back to this embrace the way he got it. But you know, this young man being raised in a home, we find that there was a father who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father in this picture we find give me the share of my property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them. Notice that when this father embracing the son divided everything he had between who? The two sons. The older son, the other son got two thirds, the younger son got one third. So the other son standing where he's standing has already got two thirds and what the one son got one third. So the, the elder got what he, his portion without even asking for it. It's like, man, what else can you ask for? But you find the loving father, God will always take the initiative to get you close to him. God is on the initiative from the, from the, from the time he created Adam and Eve because what happened? Where are you? God has always taken the initiative to provide and make a provision to bring you home. The father did not have to leave the home because we find the son a few days later. It's not like he got his stuff and dad went to the bank, drew all his stuff out and took all the resources and gave it to the son. And the son said, okay, I'm on my way. No, the son took a few days before he left. But I'm wondering, as as I look at this story and I step back and think of the prodigal and I look at this and I'm like, what was the father thinking? What was going through his heart? What's going through your heart? For those with sons and daughters, parents, grandparents, what goes through your heart? What are you thinking about when something just don't seem right, but you know something is off? Because I'm wondering for this son, he, I wonder if he's a little anxious walking up to dad and say, dad, what was the conversation, did he have open communication, was he able to walk up to dad and say, dad, you know, I love you all these years and I've been good to you. and?" Uh, I think it's time for me to go what you need to do what you need to go where where are you going well dad you know you're still alive but according to the law you know I I'm not wishing any ill will but but the father's thing you basically want me dead right now but still son I love you and I think what you read in the scriptures they gave to him what was rightfully his So he divided between them, and not many days later the younger son gathered all he had. He took a far journey into a far country, and there squandered his property through reckless living. But we find in the midst of this, I wonder as the the son was on his journey, I wonder if he heard these words as he walked down the road about God's loving kindness. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease for his compassion never failed. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I'm wondering as he walking down the road, is he thinking the loving kindness of my dad, I'm leaving the loving kindness of my dad. I wonder if he thought about that God is forgiving and merciful. John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. In 1 John 1, 9, to forgive us of our sins and, cleanse and purify us from all our righteousness but he's thinking I'm not done anything yet I'm just walking down the road and but if it happens I'm mindful of the scripture and then in Micah I'm pretty sure he was taught he has shown you O oh mortal what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy to walk humbly with your God I wonder if he had those conversations going down the road and then you see the God is compassionate and gracious the lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love the lord is gracious and righteous our god is full of compassion but yet in the midst of all this the son said i still gotta go i still gotta go so he's walking down this road he's thinking about life so in essence this passage in itself says God's very character in thinking about this throughout this word is one deep compassion and grace for his people he is slow to anger forgiving and full of love the compassion means more than being empathetic or kind to someone it goes much deeper it literally means to suffer with he knows every trouble and hard struggle we walk through he understands the pain of loss he sees our hearts when we feel broken God reaches out to us with the comfort and care of a loving father it is in his everlasting arms that we're held secure and one day he promises to wipe away every tear but yet in the midst of this the son kept walking the father is long suffering as Second Peter when I thought of this passage the parable and I'm thinking there's something going on here with this story because he's going to end up in a pig pen. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. This loving father, he, one of a kind, isn't it? Amen. To let your son go and say, you know, son, But the father had a relationship with his heavenly father to let his earthy son go somewhere he knew that would probably take him down a different road. When you have a relationship with the heavenly father, you're able to do things and go places you never thought you'd be able to go and you trust him with it. So we find that for me in my life and and to kind of frame it for you to kind of share a little bit of my story and and the bottom line is, as I think about I wouldn't be married to Susan Marie Campbell Gregory if it had not been for me leaving home. I would not have met Susan at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee if I had not left home. In 1983, June 24th, I went into the federal building, downtown Cleveland, not for, <laughs> not because I got in trouble, because <laughs> some recruiter said, hey man, I got a job for you. And so I went to the recruiter to call the test. My brother was with me, but he decided not to go. He had his own way of walking. And so I, I went, I followed through, and just something kind of nudge. You get that little nudge, like, hmm, I just, this feels right. Went to the building, raised my hand. And once I raised my hand, I was done. <laughs> sign on and down the line, buddy. <laughs> there was no returning. <laughs> you can't sign, you can't cancel that check. But what happened is I signed and then, but I did this without my parents knowing. I love my parents, but there's something within me that says I gotta go. I graduated high school in 82, but in 83, I did a year at LCC and I said, man, it it just ain't, something just not sitting right. And I felt impressed to go. So I signed up for two years, got to go to Germany, but when I came back from June 24th was called delayed entry, I don't know if they do that anymore. But I was scheduled to leave on November 10th, the day after my birthday, November 9th. But I remember telling my mom and dad, and they were shocked. And in the process of getting ready to leave, as I reflect back on this, I still remember November 10th, 3 o'clock in the morning, seeing my dad. (laughs) Standing there, getting ready to go to Ford. He worked at Ford because he would go work out in the morning and then go drive his truck but see him standing there with tears kinda in his eyes. Never saw my dad cry <laughs> you know strong southern boy from Virginia and, you know country boy didn't really show emotion but just that tear didn't really say much just had a look <laughs> and I wonder for this father when his son said what he did if he had that look not knowing what to say. Because sometimes there are no words that you can put at that time when your son or daughter is leaving home. Your heart is just broken. What do you do? Where do you turn? Who do you go to? To fast forward a little bit we find that I went to, went to Germany and then came back to Lee, uh, Fort Eustis and then God let me go to the University and I met my wife Susan in January of 89. Within six years, God brought me to a place where I can now get married, <laughs> you know. But I had to get right. The prodigal story is real and that's why I think it's profound that Jesus shared this because we can put ourselves in the prodigal story probably all through our life. At different points in our life, we find ourselves as the son, we find ourselves as the elder, we find ourselves as the father, but we find ourselves in the story in the midst of it saying, God, where are you and realizing God has always been present. He's always taken initiative. And then fast forward a little bit of that time and then when it came time to go into military, I was enlisted and I got out and went back in as a chaplain. I got ready to go to Kosovo and uh, you don't know you, you don't know when this son left home his best intention was coming back home at some point yes, he didn't know none of us know when we leave home but when I left for Kosovo I didn't know what was gonna happen I didn't know what it was gonna be like and that led into other missions other, other overseas trips but my wife with two girls in her hands, went back home and had to take two girls. And she got up and went to church, and chapel, other places. But in the process, we find that I remember one time she, she wrote a miss a letter, and she says, "You know, honey, every time you leave. This one time when I left, I forget where I, it might have been school or deployment. But she said, in the military, you have the airborne. Anybody airborne?" I was in the first and who? Seven. Seven. Oh. Appreciate that. And we find that when you jump you have a parachute and an auxiliary but you got to pull a ripcord. Yeah. You got to pull. It takes some effort. My wife said every day it was like pulling a ripcord for prayer and faith. But we find when we go through life as this prodigal was going through his story he was looking that there's a God that is compassionate and loving and kind next slide I was set out and so when the prodigal got to a place in his life, let me fast forward he got it to a place in his life where then he realized he came to himself and then he realized he needed to go back home Threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robes, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. We find for this son He let's lets have a feast to celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on your brother has come and replied he replied and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back in safe and sound the older brother became angry and refused to go in so his father went out and pleaded with him but he answered his father look all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you killed the fatted calf for him my son the father said you're always with me and everything I have is yours please go back to the main picture if you would please so with this you find that the younger son the older son said what You never gave me a goat, but what happened do we learn early? The son already divided up the property. He got his portion. He got two-thirds. He's looking for a little goat, but he couldn't find time to celebrate the coming home. There's something about coming home that you draw close, and you find there's something about being close and celebrating, because I wonder for the father, as we look back on this story, for the sons and for the fathers in the room and realizing that there's a God that wants to embrace you where you're at. And I thought, uh, and I was thinking back and I says, you know, at the dinner table, anytime a soldier or airman, you know, sailor, marine is deployed, there's something missing at the table. It's the presence. It's that other person. Dad had to go home that evening when the son walked out that door. My dad went to work and came home and I wasn't home. This prodigal father, this compassionate father was working through the day and got ready for dinner that night, probably as normal as would, but there was something missing. There was a voice not heard, there was somebody's presence missing and for this father, walking in I wonder what the conversation was like between the family at the table or even if they had conversation. But we find that sometimes in, in, in the military we understand this to a different level because when we leave home we don't know and our family has to step back and say and go about living and they function in a way of that is somewhere else. But you know who's present? The Heavenly Father. When God takes us to places like Afghanistan, Iraq, Kosovo, Kuwait, throughout the world, there is one factor that's always present. There's always one person always present, that's the Father. And I learned that in, in, in all these places, but I learned it especially in Korea because when you enter into a place of worship in Korea and you, and, and you see the people, you realize the family of God is much bigger than just sitting in <laughs> oh, wow. But it's, a, it's an amazing, it's a comfort, but you find that in the midst of this, there's a drawing and there's a, that God wants to draw you close. He wants you to know that he wants to embrace you where you're at, and as the prodigal is being embraced by his son, I can't imagine what's going through his mind. But notice, the father said nothing to the son who, who returned, he turned to the servant and said, quick, bring the robe, the ring, the sandals he'll go kill the fatted calf but then he goes out intentionally the father goes out to draw the elder son back in speaks to the elder son son your brother has returned but the elder brother kind of dis- his, own and his brother don't he your son He's so even in a family system you see something going on here but the father's took the initiative to even reach out in in the story the prodigal story is really about the sinners and the tax collectors is the, is the son the younger son but the elder is the pharisees i got it all figured out i've been there been to school got all the teaching gone to church I, done, I checked all the blocks the elders he's standing there he's locked in and the father is pleading with him son don't you understand that if if you turn and you come back I'll kill the other fatted calf I'll kill more than a fatted calf because the father will go to a greater extent to make sure his children are taken care of he's not leaving them out God always takes initiative so when you think of the robe divestment the robe that the father placed on his son I can only imagine the embrace of the father. He has placed the robe on his son too. So the father has embraced the son and he embraces him because you can't put something on somebody without embracing them, right? Because the father is loving the son so much that he wants to embrace him. The robe signifies honor and dignity. In ancient times, wearing a robe was a sign of his status and respect. By clothing his son in fine robe, the father publicly restores his son's honor and acknowledges his inherent worth as a member of the family. The robe also represents the father's unconditional love and acceptance. Despite the son's reckless behavior and squandering of his inheritance, the father embraces him wholeheartedly. But we find that this robe is so significant that in Zechariah, when there was a battle between the angel and Satan and the Lord rebuked Satan, that Joshua was wearing a dirty robe as he stood in front of the angel. Then the angel said to the other angel standing near him, take those dirty clothes off, Joshua. Then the angel spoke to Joshua. He said, now I have taken away your guilt and I've given you a new change of clothes. What does that sound like? The robe of righteousness, God is clothing you, God is equipping you, God is preparing you. God is, he's really wanting to embrace you. God wants to be closer to you than we can ever imagine. He loves you. God loved his son when he left the house. His, His love for him never changed because some, some of us may have a different take on when our sons and daughters return. But we find that this heavenly father, this this father that let his son go says, son, I embrace you. I want to hold you. I want to touch. This is probably the first touch he got. Because you, fig- you figure when he went out, when he left home, for some of us, when we leave home and we think friends are our friends. And we think they're our friends. Until something happens, you reach in your pockets and you got nothing in your pocket. And your friend said, well, it's been good knowing you but then all of a sudden you start getting out there in the world and the world starts talking to you hey man it's called the what ifs well if you'd only do this you get this if you do this we try to measure up and I can remember talking to people you find that you live by these ifs only you will only be accepted if you get this degree or this job or this but can you accept a person based on who they are just as a person in a relationship and this son went off to this far country and they think this far country is gentile country because he ended up with pigs and you're around me you understand that that's he's unclean now he's been around pigs so this heavenly father is embracing an unclean person but what did Jesus do all through his life? embrace the lepers the broken but you find that he wants to embrace you whatever's going on in your life he's willing to embrace you because he don't see you, he sees your heart he sees what's going on he knows what's happening but then he put the ring on his finger. We find that the ring of authority but you know to me I love the imagery because I got to think of a father taking his son's hand and, and taking his son and putting his ring on his finger. It's been a long time. But the father knew where the ring was. He knew where the robe was. He placed the finger, ring on his finger. When we get married what happens? With this ring I be wed when you build a covenant with somebody, God is saying, son, your covenant has never been broken. I'm putting, I'm restoring you. You have your same place you had before. And then he put the ring on his finger. Then he put the shoes. He restored and elevated the son from servanthood to in the family. But you find that the shoes in the picture, you see one shoe kind of partially on. The other shoe was completely off. He's barefooted. He's broken. He put the shoes on, because guess what this guy's got now? Guess what this kid's got? He's got a testimony. I went away, I spent all I had, and my father loved me. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. The woman at the well. She picked up her shoes. She picked up, she left the pot, but she went running to the next town to tell people. He's got a testimony. You've got a testimony. You've got a story. But in the process, we find that he killed the fatted calf that could be seen as a a representation of God's extravagant grace and mercy. It conveys the idea that the father was spared no expense when it comes to celebrating the redemption and reconciliation of the younger son. God loves you so much, he goes the extra mile. When I left home in 83, I never dreamed where God would take me in the places that I would go. When the prodigal left home, I don't think he ever thought he would end up in a pig pen. We don't think that. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're looking for failure when you leave home. But he had ideas of doing something great, but it didn't work out, but he came home and was restored. There's a part of leaving, but then there's the part of returning. So what happens when you return? So for me in 83, when I left home, I never thought I would move back home. We're born in West Virginia. I claim Virginia is my home state, a lot of it. But in 2014, when I came back from Afghanistan in 2011, I felt impressed to retire. My wife says this, I think, and we agreed. In 2014, I retired from the Army and stayed at Fort Campbell. In a year, I was working in a church, and then the following spring in 2015, I felt led, me and Susan we were talking, and we were sitting in the garage. <laughs> Just, I remember yesterday. And I said, Man, I felt like we need to go home. Do what? I never thought I would say that. <laughs> but my wife had to be at a place where she would be receptive to that, too. Yeah. Go back to Ohio. And man, it's just like floodgates opened. We're like, Man, okay, I think we need to go back home. So we go to church on Sunday. Guess what happens? Jesus heals the demoniac, and what does Jesus tells the demoniac, Go back home. Tell him what you did. <laughs> to give him a testimony. So we hear that. We're like, Okay, God, go back home. So think about, I've talked to my father off and on through the years. So I called my father on the phone and said, Dad, I'm, I'm thinking about moving back home. He gave a little chuckle as he always would give. And then he said, sounds good. Come on home. That means a lot. Because to a son, and the older son, I'm, I'm the oldest son, so I'm not this, the elder, but, I, but to the older son who left home in 1983, he's saying, son, you still can come home. You can, you can stay here with me until you find a place to live, you and your wife and family. When I went home in, in 2015, I never dreamed what God would have in store for us. Because you know, I'm speaking to the sons and daughters. If I learn anything from this story, you have a place in this world that can impact your parents. Because your parents could go wayward and you may be the impact in their life. Because you have a story to tell. You, You may be, that role can be reversed where you're embracing your mother, you're embracing your father in a way that they never dreamed. Because God is always working to let people know he loves them no matter where you're at. He's always taking the initiative to say son or daughter, you can touch your parents even though your parents are going wayward. Because the waywardness can be brought backward and they can be brought home. But it may take a son or daughter reaching out to God and praying for their parent and reaching out and saying, God, I want to be a light and a witness, because you never know where God's going to place you in that moment. So all the time when I left home in 83, I never dreamed all the places I would go. I would marry Susan from Illinois, have two beautiful daughters, and I got a grandson and another grandson on the way. I never would, I couldn't see that. That prodigal couldn't see his future. You can't see your future, but believe me, God's in your future. But if you just step and say, God, wherever you need to go, if you're away from God, turn back to God and let God take you where you need to go. But what happened is for this prodigal, he came home and his life was restored. The elder had some work to do. But to this prodigal son, he came back. So in the process, God says, okay, Clayton, we're going to take you and and you're going to leave home and... You're going to meet this person, you don't know her yet, but you're going to meet her. You're going to go to college, you're going to go to the army, you're going to go, you're going to be a chaplain, then you're going to go off and do, go do these deployments, you're going to go to war, you're going to do all these things, and oh, by the way, you're going to minister to the soldiers and families, and you're going to minister all these people, but I'm going to send you back home. The training was for the soldiers, but the training was really to be of my parents. Because when I came home in 2015, all is well, both parents are living. 2021 it all changed. Mom got really sick, ended up in hospice. Goes into hospice on Sunday and Monday. And Tuesday she's in the hospice center. Dad comes over to the house. My my daughter's up from Tennessee. I look at dad and say, dad do you want to go see mom? Understand that my dad and mom divorced in 2006. So dad hasn't really seen mom. He loves mom, but he ain't really seen it because it's a long story. But the bottom line is, I'm sitting with my dad in the house. Dad, do you want to see mom? He thought about it a while and then dad said, son, let's go see mom. Let's go see your mother. We go in the hospice, and he's at Western Reserve, we go in there. When you think of compassion, Sometimes compassion doesn't have to be spoken, does it? It's an embrace. My dad walks in the room and just mean him in there. It's, you, get, you get those gifts in your life and you never forget. And as I walked in, and my dad walked in, he immediately went to his, his ex-wife, my mother, and said, oh my, I love you. And then he held her hand. Of course, she's going unconscious at this time. But he was able to touch her and hold her. And for sons and daughters, God put me in a place I never dreamed that I would be able to pray for my parents at the end of life. You don't don't wake up thinking about that. You don't expect that. But God puts you in a place to embrace your father to brace your mom and you place your hand and you pray for him, and I still got the picture and everything but it's that image that God is preparing you for something that you may not see right now but God's got a plan for you if you hold on he's still got a plan for you and 10 months later I had to say goodbye to dad But there's a heavenly father that weeps for you every day through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit that's weeping for you to come home. He's not giving up on you. He don't care what you've been through. He knows what you've been through. The bottom line is he cares for you and he loves you and he's always taking the initiative for you. But you find for my dad and for my family, there are some things I cannot change to why but I know who is present in all things. You know, God has called you and gifted you. So this morning, when you think of compassion, when you think of Father's Day, I think of the patients in in Mercy Health, I'm a chaplain in Mercy Health, and when you hold their hand, when nobody else is around, and you see their life go from them, or they think, I gotta be flown to Metro, I gotta be flown somewhere else, but don't leave the room. You ain't got to say nothing. It's just your presence makes a difference. You make a difference just by being here. Thank you, fathers, for being here. Thank you, for fathers, for watching online. Because you took the time to be present. God is present to say, I'm with you, I'm for you, and I'm there to love you and embrace you like nobody else. Because sometimes fathers, the hardest thing for us sometimes is letting somebody embrace us. We get tough, we get hard, we think, oh, I got this together. But God just wants you to know that He wants to embrace you with an everlasting love. That man, it may break your heart, it may cause you to cry, but he, it's all out of love. Because He loves you. Jesus loves you so unconditionally and so passionately that He will He went the extra mile. Killing the fatted calf is an example of God saying, I love the world so much that I sent my only son. I love the world this way, to send my son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us so much that he's willing to say, I'm willing to expend everything I got in heaven so you can have a way to heaven. There is no cost for you. This is free. There's no cost. I have prepared a place for you that you don't even know of, but I go to prepare for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you, but it says, I go in my father's house of many mansions you're getting a place that you haven't even paid for because God is saying with well, this is temporal that is eternal and if I've learned anything being in, working in the hospital the last five years and being in combat in other places we never know the day or the hour when our time will come but your heart better be ready when it does come so with this fathers don't give up on your children don't give up on your son or daughter don't give up on your parents as a child because my parents they never they never prayed they never read the scriptures so we can't use that as an excuse to not pray for them but what a blessing to know that I could pray for them and I would in a heartbeat because it wasn't about me it was about saying God loves them so wherever you're at today God wants you to know that he's there to give you the strength to embrace your parents, to embrace your children and whatever you find yourself in. In the book Fresh Wind Fresh Fire Jim Sabala tells the story of his wayward daughter Chrissy. I want to read you an edited portion of this and this is something that there's more to it, but Chrissy left home at age 16 and she went through a lot of other things in her life, and, but a 16-year-old daughter from Brooklyn Tabernacle, anybody listen to Brooklyn Tabernacle? love the music, always have. But their daughter is 16, Chrissy, left home to go to Florida from New York. So Jim, excuse me, blew in the microphone, bam. That's not good. I gotta, I gotta find a joke about that one. What's it like to blow your nose in this microphone? No. uh, But think about a father who's in ministry. Pray for Pastor Kevin. Pray for Pastor Robin. Pray for your Pastor Jesse. Pray for Pastor Matt. Pray for Pastor Israel. Pray for Pastor Caleb and Jared. Jared, Because their children are under a different type of attack. We're all attacked. We all go through struggles. We all go through trials. But man, Carol Simbala, when they were going through this struggle with their daughter, when she left home, the devil, she was wrestling and... The devil said, I'm gonna take the other ones. I got them. And she wrote the song, God is faithful. But you find that in the midst of the battle, you have your community of faith, you have prayer. So Jim made contact with a pastor in Florida and, and wanted his daughter to go see this pastor. And he writes this, on one November I was alone in Florida when I received a call from a minister whom I persuaded Chrissy to talk to. Jimmy said, I love you and your wife, but the truth of the matter is Chrissy going to do what Chrissy's going to do. You don't really have much choice now that she's 18. She's determined you're going to have to accept whatever she decides. Jim Sabali hung up the phone. And he says, something very deep within me began to cry out. Never, I will ever, never accept Chrissy being away from the Lord. I knew that if she continued on the present path, there would be nothing but destruction awaiting her. God strongly oppressed me to cry, to stop crying, screaming, and talking to anyone else about Chrissy. So he went quiet with his prayer request. I was... To converse with God, no one but God. He was to spend that time in his prayer closet just with God. But you know, God has a way of letting other people know, don't he? In fact, I knew that she would have I would have no other further contact with Christy until God acted. I was just to believe and obey what I had preached so often. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you. I began to pray with an intensity and growing faith as never before. Whatever bad news I would receive about Chrissy, I kept interceding and actually began praising God for what I knew he would do soon. I made no attempts to see her. So February came, one cold Tuesday night during the prayer meeting, I talked from Acts 4 about the church boldly calling on God in the face of persecution. We entered into a time of prayer, everyone reaching out to the Lord simultaneously. An usher handed me a note, a young man whom I felt to be spiritually sensitive had written, Pastor Simbalan, Cimbala, I felt impressed that we should stop the meeting and all pray together for your daughter. Now understand the pastor hasn't told nobody, but she felt impressed that his daughter needed prayer, not knowing what the prayer needed to be, but knowing they needed to pray. I hesitated. Was it right to change the flow of service? And focus on my personal need this is the pastor of a huge congregation and he's saying is it right for me to stop this prayer meeting to meet my need that i have god's here to meet your need where you're at this is your time yet something in the note seemed to ring true in a few minutes i picked up a microphone and told the congregation what had just happened the truth of the matter although I talked, haven't talked much about it, is that my daughter is very far from God these days. That had to be hard. That's, you know, in the book of John, the, the third John it talks about it, I, that my children, I'm thankful my children walk in the faith and love. But to say that my child is away from God, that's, that's harder than saying my child don't have a job. Because he talked about his daughter these days. He says, she thinks up, down is up, up is down, dark is light and light is dark. But I know that God can break through to her. So I am going to ask the pastor to lead us in praying for Chrissy. Let's all join hands across the sanctuary. As my associates began to lead the people, I stood behind him with my hands on his back. My tear ducts had run dry, but I prayed as best as I knew how. Sometimes your tears will run out, but you sow in tears, you're reaping joys. But God keeps them. He numbers them. He knows them. So 32 hours later, after this prayer meeting, on a Thursday morning, as I was shaving, Jim writes, Carol suddenly burst through the door, her eyes wide, going downstairs. She blurted, Chrissy's here. Chrissy, here? Yes, go down. But Carol, I just go down she urged it's you she wants to see I wiped off the shaving foam from headed down the stairs my heart pounding as I came around the corner I saw my daughter on the kitchen floor rocking her hands and knees and sobbing continuously I spoke her name Chrissy she grabbed my pant leg and began pouring out into her anguish daddy daddy I've sinned against God I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mommy. Please forgive me. My vision was clouded by the tears as hers. I pulled her up from the floor and held her close as we cried together. Suddenly she drew back. Daddy, she said with a start, who was praying for me? What do you mean, Chrissy? On Tuesday night, Daddy, who was praying for me? I didn't say anything. So she continued, in the middle of the night, God woke me and showed me I was heading toward this abyss. There was no bottom to it, it scared me to death. I was so frightened, I realized how hard I'd been, how wrong and how rebellious. But at the same time, it was like God wrapped his arms around me and held me tight. He kept me from sliding any further. As he said, I still love you. I looked into her bloodshed eyes, and once again, I recognized the daughter we had. God loves you. God is there for you, and he still loves you. Father, right now, I just pray for this congregation, Lord, that you be with them. Father, there may be a father in this room that needs your touch, your grace, your healing, but Father, right now, may your hand reach down and meet them where they're at. Touch their heart, their soul, and their mind. I pray this in Jesus' name.